you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the League Podcast does not believe that Tom Savage exists. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League Podcast. My name is Dan Hansen, and I'm joined by a room filled with some heroes, Mark Sessler and Greg Rosenthal. What up, boys? How are you, buddy? I'm great. How are you, fellas? I'm great. That was my attempt to uh, fill the vocal void left by Wes's oh, Cincinnati hi Adventures. Hi, Dan. Yeah. That, yeah, that is missed. Wes is out this week and next, so we're just going to carry on without we'll him. We'll give him a ring. Chair. He will be working next week from Cincinnati, so we'll call him and see Oh, yeah, we'll get, we're going to get him in the mix. Uh, by the way, gentlemen, how were your sandwiches yesterday? Ooh, yeah, that's right. Your high-octane sandwiches. We finally cashed in on our sandwich propositions from our get your what is it called again I go get this. your go get my lunch <laughs> uh the last part supposed to be implied ah, dan. yes dan and you were in a deep deep hole you well, you owed a lot this is all on jerry jones uh ironic that a billionaire cost me money but uh, had johnny manzel gone to the cowboys mm. as he was supposed to i would be the one receiving sandwiches Instead, I was buying Greg a pulled pork sandwich from Jackson Market in uh, Culver City. I got Mark some mid-level, mid-tier contraption sandwich with a lot of uh, vegetables on it and other it was cheese excellent. products. I would not put it in the middle tier. Well, I'm glad you guys liked it. So, yeah. Speaking of which, go get my lunch. I'm sorry, Greg. That, I know that last part's implied. On. I know. Uh, is just one of the segments that will be coming back because guess what? Starting Monday, the Around the League podcast is backed it three times a week. Uh, there is a connection there. The Buffalo Bills are the first team on Friday that begin training camp the following week. Everyone's in camp. So we are back uh, at the hyper level of production that we're usually doing, three shows a week. Uh, we're going to play Go Get My Lunch in the future. We're going to uh, have our team of ATL official nominations coming up in August. Uh, we're going to have our Fantasy Spectacular, which mm. I'm excited about, uh, leaning on – Greg, of course, and Wes from their days at Roto World as experts. Hey, you know, Mark's here too. Yeah, I'll just I'll take a nap during that episode, apparently. <laughs> and of course, last but not least, win Greg's toaster. Ooh, well, we, right. we haven't fully decided how that's <laughs> that doesn't work. have the same ring. I've talked to some shadowy league figures who've told me Greg doesn't have the choice that he thinks he has I, in terms of You this know game. what I have is the the toaster. You so, do have the toaster. With the toaster comes power. All right, so we got a great show today. Uh, Bucky Brooks, the great NFL analyst and scout man and former NFL player. Bucky Brooks has been on the show several times before. He'll be back sitting in with us for most of the show today when we uh, break down the AFC training camp preview. We've had pieces up uh, throughout the week on NFL.com slash around the league. Also, NFL.com slash training camp preview. Ooh, We've Vanity Earl. And, That's uh, a mouthful. We're going to be doing the <laughs> NFC next week. We'll also do an NFC camp preview podcast next week. So much to look right, forward to. Right, so because we, so we'll have Bucky sitting in with us. We'll go over the team by team, something to watch for for each team. Uh, before we do that, we check in with TD, who is so cold in Studio 4, our 
our um, temporary home here that he was standing outside in an alleyway when I approached the <laughs> podcast to studio up. today trying to warm up. Pretty cold in here, guys, you know, but I'm hanging in there. You know, this is like, you know, the frozen tundra from playoff time. But uh, <laughs> Got to toughen up. Yeah, I'm going to do like Colin Kaepernick. Just go, you know, no sleeves, you know. Oh, I like that. Well, not, not exactly not right now. Wearing a long you have sleeve, a long sleeve shirt. shirt. And a Don't pull back on. the curtain, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do some news. Come on, player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Damashek. Dave Damashek there. Um, <laughs> try try to like roll, stay hip with Deion Sanders during a top 100 after show in a segment oh, that was supposed to be a playoff. Uh, HOP Deion's catchphrase: "Hold on, player." And Dave dropped instead. Come on, player. <laughs> Here's the full version. That's awkward just listening oh, to Oh, there's that. more? Yeah. Okay. Come on, player. What's that? What's up with that? Oh, oh no. no. Dave. Oh, that, he's not going to be That would require that a trip to this. HR in some companies. <laughs> full story behind that. I had that last episode. I thought about it. I was like, nah, probably not. But then on Twitter, a lot of people called for it. Like, you need to use that drop <laughs> on oh, ATL. I would like that as a permanent one just in the yeah. mix. Just so, throw that out shout whenever out to you the want. AC, NFL, hashtag NFL ATL listeners. Thank you for officially for ending the ceasefire between our show and Dave's. <laughs> All right, let's do some news. All right, something that happened uh, after the last time we were in the studio. Jimmy Graham is officially under contract, uh, a long-term contract with the New Orleans Saints. Graham reached an agreement on a four-year, $40 million contract uh, that makes him the highest-paid tight end in the league. NFL media insider Ian Rappaport reported Tuesday. Graham received $12 million signing bonus, and uh, between 20 to $21 million of the deal is guaranteed. He will also be paid $13 million, uh, this se- this upcoming season, which is, you know, I could see why the deal worked out because that's closer to top wide receiver money. They, they fudged the numbers, made that happen, made everybody happy. Jimmy Graham under contract, and we don't have to worry about any type of holdout with him this season. Not a surprise. We predicted he would sign this long-term deal before July 15th, uh, just a few weeks ago, and I think it was a great deal for the Saints They held their ground. They had the leverage because they won the franchise tag nonsense. And if you look at it, I mean, he's getting the same guaranteed money about that Everson Griffin got. You know, you could say that it's the top tight end in the league, but $10 million a year, that's going to look pretty good in three or four years. For how good Jimmy Graham is compared to other guys making $10 million a year, I think it's a, a team-friendly deal. And, of course, you're, you're happy for Graham, and, and you can understand why he would take it as well. Yeah, I mean, there were a number of tight ends coming down the pike, a guy like Jordan Cameron, whose contract comes up next offseason, that we're looking closely at this deal. And... I think you're right. A couple years away, this is affordable for the kind of playmaker he is. But it's also an amazing journey if you think about Jimmy Graham was a basketball player that was not on the football team until his last year at Miami. He's a third-round draft pick, and now he's the very best at his position just a few years later. And he sets the market. Just uh, yesterday, John Elway told USA Today that Julius Thomas, who also is heading into a contract year, Elway is pretty frank about it, that he believed that Thomas has tremendous upside, but he's not at that level. So Jimmy Graham is the benchmark now, and uh, Julius Thomas is not going to get that money unless he puts together a Jimmy Graham season in 2014. I want to see if Graham is the guy that he was early last year, where he looked like 
an MVP candidate, just as valuable as any wide receiver, including Calvin Johnson, or the guy he was in the second half when the foot injury bothered him. He's had some nagging injuries over the year, and he had a lot of down games. Because if he is that early season Jimmy Graham, you throw in Brandon Cooks, you throw in a nice little running game, Kenny Stills. Woo! And if he struggles on any level, he will not make next year's top 100. We know that. <laughs> uh, we have to keep talking I, about the top listen, 100. I just Can wanted to just cap it with on. that. I was surprised you guys went back to it, the show I missed. I thought we, well, had, we, I we thought killed we that thing. put a bow on it and then move forward. <laughs> Mark feel determined Star to keep it. ripped off the wound. <laughs> Come on, player. <laughs> uh, all right. Other news that uh, happened during our uh, absence. Kyle Orton was released by the Dallas Cowboys. Poor little out for... Uh, neckbeards across the U.S. of A. Kyle Orton, of course, had said that he was leaning heavily, or we were told he was leaning heavily toward retirement. Cowboys were hoping that maybe the fact that he was under contract and would have to pay back his signing bonus would would make him come back rather than retire. But at the end of the day, Kyle Orton gets what he wants. He gets released, which means he gets to keep his money. And now the Cowboys are in a position, and this is such a Cowboys situation, where they have a quarterback coming off a second back surgery in two years, and now the next man in line for the throne. If Romo went down, Mark? The name is Brandon Whedon. <laughs> well, wait, should we be surprised? The story has Mark Sessler written all over it. Or Look, in Whedon. Sessler's I, guys. I do Ow! like Dallas parting ways with this low-level attempt at holding the team hostage. Greg is showing us right now a photo of Orton in his earlier days when he was a tavern dweller. I, I, I thought you were about to call Orton a low life, and I was like, whoa, Mark. No, no, on, no. Just, just you know, at some point, take a stand with these guys that want to, you know, push their needs. The Cowboys' bottom line have done a terrible job with their cap, mm. and we talked about this in the office yesterday. Dan got a little fired up at Jerry Jones because I think if you take Tony Romo off that team, they wouldn't be these eight and eight teams that hang around. They would be four, five-win squads, and Jerry Jones would be under tremendous pressure for the the nonsense he's created on that roster. I'll tell you what got me fired up yesterday. I saw a tweet that got passed around a little bit that after the Orton uh, situation was worked out, the Cowboys now have around $25 million in dead money on their books in 2014. Ugh. This is a team coming off three straight eight and eight seasons. This isn't like the Broncos like gearing up for a Super Bowl <laughs> run and now they're going to pay for it later. This is the, the picture of mediocrity in the NFL, and they've still somehow doomed themselves to cap hell. And often when GMs are fired, it has to do with the books along with poor selections, and the next guy comes in and inherits a disaster disaster, but it's Jerry Jones who is zero accountable to himself mm. and will sit there for the Whoa, next 15. Well, I, no, I think Jerry does a really good job, all things considered. <laughs> You're right. Personally. He, I mean, let's, Dan Hansis thinks $25 million is a lot of money. I wish you I mean, weren't a liar. <laughs> all you Cowboys fans out there who were upset they couldn't sign Jason Hatcher or that they had to cut DeMarcus Ware, that $25 million in dead money that Dan Hansis is talking about would have come in a little handy. Bring him in. Maybe maybe keep Kyle Orton for a little bit. Dead president. Why not? Do you think guys think Orton maybe comes back for another team? There was some. That would be I pretty think it dirty could pool. I could see it happening, but at the same time, like what was what was what would be his end game? Is he looking to be a star in the NFL? Well, it doesn't it seem like, like he, he didn't ever... like being on the Cowboys. We heard some rumblings. You know, people didn't get along behind the scenes, and he just maybe didn't like the scene. If someone gives him a nice offer, he doesn't strike me as highly motivated. <laughs> no, I mean, he's got a neck beard 24 hours a day, 365. But how many teams could Kyle Orton start for right now? 
Is there a lot of no? I don't think anyone wants him as, as a, starter. a bridge type quarterback. Two, if he were in shape and cared, maybe. you could. I could say two or three. Yeah, I'd say zero. All right, now a very special guest stepping into the studio. A strapping man wearing a suit with a pocket <laughs> square. He, uh, he has a similar laugh to that of hip-hop legend Jay-Z. He is Bucky Brooks. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Bucky Brooks in the house. Uh, obviously great uh, uh, scout man. He is a former NFL player. And now we're going to bring Bucky in. We're going to talk about training camp preview time. We now on the NFL.com slash training camp previews we have all four divisions covered in the afc next week will be the nfc so why don't we start we'll get right into it is that good Bucky? Just, just, just go right to it is this is it all almost like a little too formal like right into business maybe no, we no, should no, catch up no, 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 let's get, let's get right let's get he right called you business. strapping you're you're a long strapping. list of men <laughs> whose bodies he's complimented on recent podcasts that's true have, dan I does have. do that kevin patra who is our chicago writer yeah. Uh, I, just, I think he's got a great body. He's a very well-cut man. I, I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't know about that. Well, yeah. okay. I, 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 that's the funny thing about it. Is, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a body that won't quit in my mind. That's the funny thing about it. Patrick really doesn't even. He's just a pretty average-looking guy. Just wait till you see him here Compared in the studio. To us slugs, he's going to be yoked. Maybe, maybe. See, we could have got straight to business. Instead, we went down this meandering side road that got creepy. Bucky's like, why am I here? I am a respected character. Uh, All right, so let's do it. AFC East, we'll start with the Buffalo Bills. Greg Rosenthal, you wrote up the piece that's on the site. As we said, why don't we start with the Bills? I'm looking at what happens at wide receiver. You know, Sammy Watkins, you figure he's locked into a starting job. But I want to see what Robert Woods does because, to me, he is one of the more underrated second-year receivers. I think he could have a big role. I'm not sure what how Mike Williams fits in here. There was some speculation he wasn't even a lock to make the team. Like, how do you see this wide receiver? Group? I like I like their core. Uh, I think you know the guy that you bring up, Robert Woods, reminds me of kind of a young Reggie Wayne in terms of guy being a polished route runner. I can see him actually doing more of the dirty work as the number one receiver with Sammy Watkins that's being the designated what, playmaker. That's what um, I'm talking about. Chris I, Wesseling and I have a sandwich. On the line, on this podcast, who's going to be the leading receiver of the Buffalo Bills? And I get a sandwich and a side of potato salad. Wow. It's Robert Woods. <laughs> potato salad's potato in the Potato salad for me. He Gross. only gets the sandwich if it's Watkins because he's taking the favor. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, th- I think Robert Woods could be a big-time playmaker also because there's some – Chemistry and continuity. E.J. Manuel, Robert Woods came in together. He kind of knows him. There will be a trust factor there that may exist a little strong and then the relationship with Sammy Watkins. But I think that's a very, very intriguing receiver core, and I really like the up-tempo offense with E.J. Manuel. It should make it easier for him to play. I mean, we know that they're going to run the ball a ton, but they don't really have a bunch of playmaking tight ends on any level. So does that give one of these – back-end receivers a better chance to make the roster? Well, I mean, I think so, yeah. I think Scott Chandler is the guy there. But, I, you know, one of those receivers, one of those back-end guys that you allude to, Marquis, Marcus Goldwyn or, or TJ Graham or one of those guys at the bottom of the roster, Spies or someone that can come in and make plays. Yeah, but I think really when you look at the Buffalo Bills, it's about the running game. It's about C.J. Spiller, Fred Jackson. Even though they're going up-tempo, they're really going up-tempo to run the football and then create big plays for E.J. Manuel. Simplifying the offense for him by going faster should allow him to have more success as a second year player. And your boy Bryce Brown. Yeah, we've they're heard big, a lot about Brown. They're big maybe fans of Bryce Brown. They bothered to trade. Don't put for it him. on the carpet. Yeah. yeah. Getting a bigger opportunity than they thought this year potentially. Yeah, I mean I like I like their offense. I like the rhythm they're going. The big thing is 
Mike Fed was really good with that defense. He takes a lot of chances. He was really blitz happy. Jim Schwartz is not really a blitzer. So now, how does that defense look? And you also lost Kiko Alonso. Can they kind of keep up and continue to do some of the things they did last That's year? That's going to be a major subplot, too, during training camp. How do they rebuild the inside of that defense with Kiko not in the picture, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, Kiko Alonso was a dominant player. So one of their young guys has to step up, Preston Brown. Someone has to step up and really give them contributions. Well, they could be without Alonso and Marcel Darius. They're waiting to see if he gets suspended, and there's Oof. a decent chance he will be. So, that, I mean, that's and, two and big tough, players. And it's tough because elite defenses need to be strong right down the middle. Defensive tackle, Mike, linebacker, safety. You need to have big-time playmakers there. You talk about Darius being out. You know Kiko Alonso won't be there. It would be tough for them to get back to doing some of the things they did last year. How about the Dolphins, Greg? I'm looking at the running backs. You know, Lamar Miller, we've kind of waited for him to break out. He's got a great opportunity because it sounds like Noshan Moreno had a very strange offseason. <laughs> That's one way to put it. He had surgery. If they didn't give him a million and a half guaranteed, I don't know if he's a lock to make the team. So I want to see how that running back situation shakes out. I want to see if their wide receivers stay healthy. Because Mike Wallace and Brian Hartline, that's a that's a solid starting group. They have awful wide receivers after that. It is one of the thinnest groups. If Hartline or Wallace got hurt, who are you throwing in there? You know, I, I don't know outside, but I do like their tight end, Charles Clay. I think right? he has a chance to be a pretty good player. Top 100 player? The top Tyrus 100. Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think he has a chance to sneak in there. He was one of the hybrids that I wrote about the other day in terms of sneaking in, being a dynamic player. That offense, Bill Lazor coming over from Philadelphia, the up-tempo, seeing the production they were able to get out of Philadelphia's tight ends and some of their wide receivers. Mm. Riley Cooper had a lot of production in that Philadelphia Eagle offense, so maybe you don't need necessarily a dynamic talent on the outside. If you can come and get them going, they're going really fast. That offensive line should be better. They have a chance to really have some production on offense. And we have heard you know, repeated, glowing, hyped-up, Reports about Mike Wallace being moved all no, over the place. Wait, you're the one driving this train. You're, you, he loves no. the laser. It's Lazor, you're saying? I so don't know. What, <laughs> I like, what I like is when you see a team do Bill what the L. Eagles did last year, it, it, it shocked me that not one coaching staff went and copied it at all. And, I, and Miami basically says, no, we are going to. We're going to roll with this thing. And so that is an upside for Lamar Miller, and it seems really good for Mike Wallace from what we're hearing. I, I caught some heat. Uh, earlier in the offseason, uh, getting behind Cortland Finnegan as a potential uh, steal in free agency. Uh, Bucky, do you think there's a chance that he slumps in training camp and doesn't even get the starting job here? Oh, I think you. I think you get the starting job. I think he'll he'll start. I think they yeah, have Bucky's to have on other my guys. Side. Yeah, but I also well, include a nickelback as a starter. But I think you'd be. I think you'd be in the mix. That defense has to play. They have to have enough guys to kind of keep up with the explosive offenses that could kind of come to be. We talk about Buffalo. We talk about New England. They have to find a way to defuse those guys. Cortland Finnegan has to be a. Part Dan of that. likes that Cortland Finnegan and I got into a <laughs> a DM war on Twitter where he basically <laughs> read something that we published and said, "I will find you and defuse you." And Dan likes. <laughs> Play up that no, he like Dan likes to get in the middle I of that. I often and play think when that. he says the fuse, he means to murder you. That's, that's how <laughs> I read it. <laughs> All right, the New England Patriots, the defending AFC East champion, New England Patriots. Wide receiver is wide open for them after Julian Edelman. I like what, what a, you did there. What a weird statement. Wasn't on purpose, but I'm glad you okay. appreciated it. I mean, Edelman. It, it's strange that he's the most established guy. After that, they want Danny Amendola to be a big factor. 
but they don't really know. They, he didn't pick up the offense well last year. Aaron Dobson's coming off an injury. Kenbrell Tompkins was good in spots last year. They bring in Brandon LaFell. They don't know if Gronk is going to be ready for week one. It's just a big mix, and the Patriots do this year after year. They throw people against the wall in camp, and they kind of see what sticks, and this is a big month for them. They really evaluate their players on this month and give out the playing, playing time. No, I, I think so, but I think we kind of saw a preview of what the Patriots will be when you looked at them in the playoffs. They're going to get back to the old style. Think early 2000s Ooh, running game. I like what they were doing with Antoine Smith and Corey Dillon and those guys. I think they can get back to being a hmm. power running team. The league, I think, is shifting back towards that. Teams have seen the success Ooh. that San Francisco had. They saw Seattle have success running the football. Look for New England to be a little more run-centric than pass-centric because when you look at the, the strengths of their team, it's in the running back and the offensive line factor more so than the wide receivers. I don't think you want Tom Brady really slinging it around the yard to those young guys on the outside. And if they're healthy, Ridley and Vereen coming into their fourth years, they know that system well. That's a great one-two combo. If is a big word there if they're healthy. But those two, one on kind of more traditional running downs, one on passing downs, that's dynamic. I mean, I think so. I think it's recreating what they had when Kevin Falk was there. When you talk about those other running backs they had in the early 2000s, being able to run the ball, be physical, kind of shorten the game. And also, this would be the first time that I think their defense is probably better than their offensive Ooh. unit. And so as you're going back Spicy. and really looking at how that offense or how that team is built, think early 2000s. I think this is the year. It's not as sexy as it used to be. But I think they will probably be a better team because defensively they're more like the teams that Bill Belichick wants to have. Vince Wolfert, obviously, coming off that torn Achilles. You know, it'll be interesting to see how he looks this summer. Uh, do they have some people we can believe in if Wolfert isn't the same guy or he's slow to come no. back? No. I mean, they were one game away from the Super Bowl starting Chris Jones and Joe Villano. <clears throat> At defensive tackle. I think I went to high school with that guy. Right. I mean, no, no one knows who these guys were, and they weren't very dynamic. And they have Tommy Kelly. They have their first-round pick. So who knows how fast Dominic he's, he's going to yeah. come around. But they really need Wilfrick to bounce back. And there's not a long history of 34-year-olds coming off Achilles surgery. No, it's scary because an Achilles injury is a scary injury, particularly for an Asian athlete. So asking the big man to come back, I mean a heavy man to come back off that injury, I don't know what you can really expect on that. But – because they're so much better in the secondary, in yep. the back end, he now can be more aggressive in terms of dialing up blisses. I believe Darrell Revis is going to play the role of Ty Law in the yeah. early 2000s. He's going to be the <laughs> eraser. I'm excited about what he can do. I, I think this defense will go back to being a top-10 defense, and I think we'll kind of see the vintage New England Patriots this year. And Belichick hasn't been that creative with what he does on defense because they haven't had the personnel the last few years. And now you have Revis, who changes everything, and you have Jamie Collins, who you can move all around. You know, and even Brandon Browner. Like, Brandon Browner is not necessarily the most talented cover corner, but he can beat you up on the outside. And when the Patriots were, you were able Brandon to do Browner. it. I mean, I, I like that. Well, I, have, I, have an, I have an affinity for him because I gave him a huge grade when he was coming out of Oregon I'll State. See, I knew there was so I'm, I'm trying to say partial, but go back and think, like, Otis Smith and those other guys. Like, he kind of likes junkyard dogs. Yeah. And the back end. Revis is the number one guy. Brandon Brown goes and beats up the other guy. And then they kind of get after it. I like that. And finally, the New York Jets. Finally uh, is right. What are you trying to say, buddy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm a Jets fan, Bucky. So we get to learn more about each other. Uh, yes, very good. Now, the New York Jets, obviously we don't, or as a Jet fan, you don't want the whole training camp to be about Michael Vick versus Geno Smith. But it cannot be ignored. That's going to be the major subplot here. How do we see it playing well, out? Why not make it about it? That's about ah, as come good. On. A, it's not as about as good a quarterback battle as we have. Usually, it's 
it's like Chad Henney versus Blaine Gabbert <laughs> or some nonsense. I mean, Michael Vick's one of the most exciting players last decade. Geno's a high pick. It's good stuff. I'll, I'll state my, my opinion on this again. And we know it's been laid out by all the coaching staff. Gino is going to get 75% of the starter reps. So the deck is stacked. Michael Vick was right. This is not a, a true competition. So I think we're going to see Gino, unless he absolutely implodes during training camp and in the preseason, Gino is going to be the starter. And Mike Vick will be the starter by Halloween. And everybody plays. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. So much, and Bucky, maybe you can explain this to me. So much emphasis is placed on six possessions of offense in the preseason. Let's say, you know, the first couple games Mm -hmm. if Gino struggles in those six possessions you know people are going to start talking why do teams put so much emphasis on those preseason series when it's such a small group of plays it is a small sample size most teams actually take what what happens in in practice all those team periods the scrimmages they add all of that into the mix but you're right because when you look at the preseason you really don't start game planning and getting to it until the third week of preseason that's when you truly have a game plan you're designing your plays and your script to attack the other team the rest of the stuff is you're really just calling plays just trying to see what stuff looks like on tape and so it's not an advantageous situation for a young quarterback. For Geno, and and talking about this quarterback competition, the best thing for the Jets would be for Geno to win it outright because as a young quarterback, you would like to have a young guy in place that they could build around. Is he up to the job? I saw flashes last year that showed and suggested to me that he could be a capable starting quarterback in the National Football League. They have a better running game this year with Chris Johnson coming over. They've done some things in the passing game with Eric Decker and some of the young guys coming over at receiver. They should be better on offense, but it comes down to how well their defense plays. If their defense plays lights out, they have a chance. Well, looking at that defense, you know, we, we feel like John Idzik – uh, kind of put uh, Rex Ryan on hostage last year and just organized the draft. But looking at Calvin Pryor, that is a Rex Ryan build up the middle type of safety pick. What do you think we can see out of him even in early preseason going into the early part of the year? Well, they wanted someone that could give some toughness. They needed an intimidator. The game is still about trying to create fear venturing across the middle. Calvin Pryor is a headhunter, a guy that knocks people out like that. On the outside, their young quarterbacks have to step up. Deep Milner has to be a player. they got to figure out what Cal Wilson is going to be on the outside. If they can just get decent coverage, they're so creative in the way they come up with their schemes. Dennis Thurman and Rex Ryan find a way to attack the the, the quarterback. I like what they do from a schematic standpoint. Back, back in has to play better. That's and then on offense, they have to find a way to score more than 70 That's the worst group of cornerbacks Rex Ryan's ever coached. The I mean, find, find a group I mean, that, from Baltimore to the Jets to any of his days that's worse than this it's group. It's the first year since 2006 either Revis or Cromartie are not back there. It's the youngest group he's ever had. And they're putting a lot, a lot into D. Milner building off the end of last season because if he regresses, there is really nothing behind him to get excited about. Dimitri Patterson is probably the other cornerback starting here. I mean, this could be the Achilles heel, and it was last year. They got burned on deep plays a lot, uh, and they also only had 11 interceptions as a group. So the secondary is the biggest uh, weakness, I think, for this team. Let's do a little AFC North maybe next. Mark? All right. You wrote this one up, so why don't we start with, why not, the Baltimore Ravens, Mark's favorite. We will go, yeah, my favorite. Such a dear uh, team to my heart. Uh, You know, John Harbaugh said this is a top five defense, which was not the case last year, but they had a lot of young guys, some of them maybe playing out of position. Are we going to see hints out of C.J. Mosley, 
you've got an uh, interesting player at safety as well. Does Baltimore actually have a top five defense? Man, it's tough. When I look at the other defense in the National Football League, I, I don't know if they're in that upper echelon. I think there's some talented pieces. I think Sizzle gives them a, a terrific rush off the edge. But I don't know who the complimentary rusher is. I know Elvis Dumerville is kind of in that role. But they need more than just those guys. Mm -hmm. And then on the outside, I like Jimmy Smith. I like Ladarius Webb. I like what Matt Elam can be. But that interior, the, the linebacker, Daryl Smith is solid. Uh, C.J. Moley has to play. I just don't get the impression that this is a top-five team that when I look at paper, I'm like, man, I'm scared of playing the Baltimore Ravens on paper. And on offense, you know, Ray Rice has been the man in the backfield for stretching back half a decade He's lighter, they say, his hip injuries in the past. He may be faster as well. But they're also giving hints that this is a backfield by committee with Bernard Pierce and a cast of others. How do we see that breaking down? I, I don't know if Rice is even going to be available to play because he might get suspended for the first month. And I don't know what you're going to get out of him this year. He had such a surprising step back last season. You usually don't see running backs bounce back that strong for that. Maybe he bounces back to good or okay, but not back to the old Ray Rice. No, I mean, ton of touches early in his career. Like, a lot of people have tried to make Joe Flacco to be kind of like the guy that was carrying that offense, but whenever he got nut-cutting time for them, they leaned on Ray Rice. And so because Gary Kubiak comes over, I understand the back by committee because that's kind of the Shanahan thing. And so Bernard Pierce would be the guy that I would expect to do the bulk of the carries. I think this offense is a better offense for Joe Flacco. They'll pass more. You see dynamic play action in the backfield. Look for Torrey Smith to have a big year. Yep. this year in that offense. And people blame it on the offensive line. It's not the offensive line's fault when Ray Rice is out in space <laughs> and there's a linebacker there, and he always would win that matchup in the past, and he wasn't winning it last year. He was getting tackled. No, he, he doesn't have the juice that he once had, and I think sometimes it's the cumulative effect of having so many touches. They really leaned on him. And he's a smaller guy, and I know people don't like to use size as a, as a big issue, but when you come into running backs, it takes a lot. You need to have a whammer if you're going to give the guy – Whammer. Three, I mean, 250, Ooh. 300 carries, 300 touches. That's a lot on Ray Rice. I like that. Who's the whammer in this group? I like that. <laughs> That's great. I like that. Dan would say Kevin Patra. <laughs> so, for sure. You just wait until you see him on Monday. The next team, the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, another team with a very interesting situation in the backfield because I think Hugh Jackson, a friend of yours, Bucky, is uh, True story. he loves running backs. Mm -hmm. He loves the running game. We <laughs> saw what he did in Oakland with McFadden, and he wants to flip the switch with Gio Bernard. They also have Jeremy Hill and Ben Jarvis. Green Ellis might be the odd man out here. You know, Camp's going to tell us a lot about, A, the formations they're going to run, how this offense will look in terms of maybe less attempts for Andy Dalton. What do you expect to see with what you know from Jackson? High tempo, meaning they're going to go really fast. The player get in and out of the huddle real quick. They get to the line of scrimmage, just snap it really quickly. They're going to run the football. They're going to be a physical team. Uh, for those who can pay attention to the nuances of, of the game, a lot of unbalanced line, a lot of overshifted tackles, a lot of things to try and create mm. numbers problems. Getting Mark excited. At the, at, at the, at the point <laughs> of attack. Running game. I know Ben Jarvis Green Ellis is in the mix, but I would expect Jeremy Hill and Gio Bernard to be the bell cow. Hmm. Jeremy Hill is the guy we just talked about, the whammer. He's the guy that they're going to pound between the tackles. Hugh Jackson had top ten running games when he was in Oakland. That's how he likes to play the game. That's what I expect to see from Cincinnati. Do coaches show anything at all in the preseason or training camp? Can you really learn what Hugh Jackson's going to do by watching 
let's say the people that are at practice every day and then the preseason, do you get a feel? A little bit. I think you get a, you get a feel for what they want to do because at some point they have to practice what they're going to be. Right. Were they showing in games? Maybe not. But I think if you're there on a consistent basis, kind of watching them put it in, watching them install, I think you can get a feel for what he wants to be. The one thing that will stand out is you can tell by the tempo and you can tell by watching how he's on the quarterback what he wants that guy to do. For Andy Dalton, I think he's going to want him dial it back a little bit but selectively take those shots and find a way to put him in a situation where he can hit those home runs. Mark, before we move on, can you just give me a heads up for anyone that's friends with Bucky Brooks so I know who not to take shots at? Oh, you no. I would shots? be glad you know all Bucky's friends. Yeah, Mark's plugged in on Bucky's Rolodex, <laughs> apparently. Just, get, you know, maybe a kick under the table. Be glad to. Okay, good. All right, now, Mark, the Cleveland Browns. Let's talk about you that. You are a factory of sadness! Uh, no, you know, no, that is an outrageous nice. way to begin this segment, <laughs> producer Black Tie. You know, Johnny Manziel, how do we get out of here without discussing him and Hoyer? They, they put Hoyer in the number one role for now, and that's generally met with laughter by most who just think, come on, they're, they're organizing an offense for with RG3 elements. We heard even from, from uh, safety Dante Whitner last week. You've talked about that in the past. Where, how does this play out? With it being a, is it a real competition? Well, it can, I mean, it can be a real competition. If Johnny Manziel goes out in the preseason, we talked about those six crucial segments where he's on offense. If he shows that he's not ready for the pro game, I think Brian Hoyer is the starter. But if he comes in and he flashes in the second half playing against backups, he runs around, makes a couple plays, get the fan base excited, I think you'll see him get a legitimate chance to be the opening day starter. He's a different player. He's someone that is not for everybody. But I think because Kyle Shanahan was on board bringing him in, you have to build the offense around his skill. Set. And so I would expect to see him be in the mix. If not on opening day, I would think by the end of the first quarter of the season, he has to be the starter. Bucky is a regular listener of the podcast. I know you know that Chris Wessling has agreed to eat his softball pants <laughs> if Johnny Manziel is not the week one starter. Will Chris Wessling eat his softball pants? Bottom line. Should he feel safe? I mean, I, I, I think he's – I think he's okay in terms of like being able to, to bet on that. I don't. I just can't imagine like everyone is excited about Brian Hoyer, but what really has Brian Hoyer done? I know he had a three and one record last year, but when you really look at the numbers, he didn't light it up necessarily. He had one good game. He, yeah. he had a, a strong game. He had threw three picks in the game, but also made some plays. There's not that's Wes's whole angle. He's that you know look at what he's done, and he's coming off a major knee injury. And Johnny Manziel. I mean, I like the, the spirit. Though. I like that he quoted LeBron and talked about what the, the, what they're about. <laughs> well, that was a shot. Saw, I thought yeah. a little bit. Of, I, I, what? I that like was that, a shot. That was a little bit of a shot. Well, Johnny, it was, like, it was. earn it, baby. I think it he was. he feels he's probably underlooked for you know a guy that has just put in in the in the hours in the practice while Manziel's catching all this attention. Mark one aspect of the offense also that I'm very interested in is the backfield. How are they going to distribute it? And how do you see anyway in training camp how it gets split up? Uh, you know, with Pettin, he seems to give you uh, the truth enough on what he plans to do, and they've said over and over we're going to be a backfield by committee. I think when they drafted Terrence West, it was in the mold of – I think they see some Alfred Morris in him. And Tate and West both fit very well into Shanahan's zone-blocking scheme. And that's why I think the quarterback question is a little bit overrated at this stage because either way, I think they're going to run this football all day long. I don't know if the quarterback situation could be overrated, though. I mean, <laughs> I just think it's not the only way this offense. One, I, they were they it's led the league in pass team. attempts last year, 
and I think that they may lead the AFC at least in in rush attempts this season. Well, I mean, I think that's how he wants to play. I think anytime you have a defensive-minded head coach in charge, he wants to run the football to really preserve his defense and make games tight. For the Browns, they have two running backs in Terrence West and Bente that should be very, very productive in that zone base blocking scheme. And so if Kyle Shanahan sticks to his guns and runs the football and finds a way to play action, whether it's Johnny Menzel or Brian Hoyer out the back door, just think about what the Houston Texans have done. It's the same offense. Right. That's what they're going to do. I would expect them to have that kind of success. And it sets up for Johnny Menzel to win because sure. when you're asking your quarterback to just make three or four big plays, he's that guy. Hoyer's not that guy. And if he can just do that in the preseason when he gets on the field, kind of like Russell Wilson did in Seattle – I mean, he was about perfect for those six possessions. So people were just, okay, we got to play him. There's no choice. All right, the Steelers finally in the AFC North. I mean, we could go backfield with all these teams, but when I look at Pittsburgh, one, one position group that jumps out to me is how they got younger and more dynamic at wide receiver. You've got Antonio Brown, of course, but one of our Making the Leap candidates was Marcus Wheaton. And we're hearing a lot about Martavis Bryant as well as a, as a big, tall guy that they wanted to target in the draft, a player like that who's a red zone threat potentially. How does this all shake out? What do you think their goal is with a guy like Bryant, and where do they want Wheaton to be at the end of this preseason? Well, I mean, I think when you look at a wide receiver core, think of it as a basketball team. You want to have different skill sets available. And so if Antonio Brown is your number one receiver, he's kind of your smaller, shorter, quicker guy that can do all the routes. Marcus Wheaton is your speedster to stretch the field. Martavius Bryant is your red zone weapon. So I think Todd Haley would do a good job of giving these guys roles, and in those roles, those guys will shine. I like their offense, but I'm more impressed with not even the receiver core. I think Le'Veon Bell is going to prove to people mm. that he's a dominant player in the National Football League. He's a guy that but reminded me of Steven Jackson when he was coming out of college. I think he has the ability to not only be a guy that can get you 200 to 1,300 yards as a rusher, but I could think he could finish with maybe 400 to 500 receiving yards because he's that good. That's what he did at Michigan State. And if you're a fantasy like guy, are you concerned that you pick Bell and that guy's going to eat all year long, but then – like Eric Blunt's going to come in and hammer in the touchdown from three, two yards out. And, and that's always a possibility. That is always possible. But I like the fact that Mike Tomlin, I think they are intent on getting back to playing Pittsburgh Steelers football, which is being physical, mm. being rough and rugged on offense, but also having a defense that kind of sets the table. I like the Steelers. They're kind of like that sneaky dark horse team. Yeah, I think you need for to keep sure. your eye You on. know what we need more of is Todd Haley drama. The league is more fun <laughs> when <laughs> things are just kind of happening with Todd Haley. Mm -hmm. He's prickly with the media. If he's winning, it gets a little cocky. He has some fun with it. I, I think that's happening this year. Yeah, I think I think it is. I think they can get better. You know, don't don't sleep on Mike Tomlin. He enjoys kind of being like that prickly personality too. Yeah. He <laughs> likes winning. He likes kind of letting everyone know he's and the smartest guy in the room. They did get faster <laughs> because you get Ryan Shazier at linebacker, fastest linebacker since Brian Urlacher, and then Tree Archer on offense. We don't know what's going to happen with him. Maybe just a special teams guy early, but the old Warren Sapp, old and slow business. That is. Stage left. Stage up. No, I mean, when you look at that defense, that defense is far more dynamic. I've already talked about Mike Mitchell coming in and probably playing the role of Troy Palomalu like he did in the past. But that linebacker core, Jarvis Jones, Ryan Shazier, Lawrence Timmons, talk about Worlds playing on the other side. I like what they have. I think they flipped their roster mm. in the past two years. I think now we kind of begin to see the fruits of their labor. Feels like a team of ATL, Mark says. Potentially. All right, moving on <laughs> to everyone's favorite division, the AFC South. Why is it the favorite? Speed round. Well, it's potentially the speed round. I, it's hard to get too excited about most of these teams. Oh, but wow. you know, I'm just I'm keeping it real. Bucky's looking at me, judging me, saying no, like, you every, like you like the every team is beautiful in its own ways. What Bucky said to me, basically. <laughs> 
Uh, so we'll kind of we'll work through this. TD's already giving me looks like, hey, you guys are taking too long. So we're just going to try to be economical. The Houston Texans. All right. I'm going to let's let's say what it is. The quarterback situation is something to watch this summer. Ryan Fitzpatrick was uh, brought on board and is, uh, I guess, going to be the starter most likely. But you also have Case Keenum, who had his opportunities last year. Is probably I, I think they're probably both going to get a shot at some point. But as far as the summer goes, is Ryan Fitzpatrick coming out with the starting job week one? I think the only way he's not is if they have the crazy idea to still trade for Ryan Mallett, which never sounded like a good idea in the first place, but I think that could still be available to them. Other than that, there's no options. Ryan Mallett's on his tombstone, it's going to say, was involved in many trade rumors. (laughs) That's his legacy. Such a funny joke that the whole podcast shut down. There were repeated, a lot of reporters talked over and over about a guy that we weren't convinced existed, but said that Tom Savage oh, had the strongest oh, arm in practices. Just saying that he had the strongest arm of any quarterback like, in Texas no. practices. Yeah, not I mean, but, but did it hit receivers? Or well, I'm not sure where the ball the landed. I think we so should you're, you're, leave Tom sh- Savage with the top 100 <laughs> rankings. So All right. just okay, never speak of Reading between the lines, Bucky, you're basically taking a shot at Gil Brandt. Because Tom <laughs> Savage, that's his guy. That is, that is, he, may, he may be right. He may Look, the great, the great Gil Brandt may be right about Tom Savage. I haven't found anyone else who could find it like that. I like but. we bring Bucky in here and just try to <laughs> put words put in his mouth. Put him also a friend I mean, of Bucky Brooks, Gilbert. All right, noted. Yeah. I'm writing it down. All right, let's move on to the Colts. Uh, Trent Richardson, another former friend of Mark Sessler, uh, speaking of friendship, is now, you know, I guess he's going to be in the mix. The Colts really need to establish a running game, do a better job of it this year. This year. Last year they had injuries, and then the Richardson trade obviously backfired on them. Uh, how do we see that playing out this summer? Who comes out as the guy that's getting most of the carries? The report is that Richardson's the starter, which I'm a little surprised that it's not just wide open the way that he played last year. But they're standing behind him. They're going to give him every chance. And I've I've just heard, you know, behind the scenes, they are going to fully support him until the minute, I think, that he gives them no choice but to give up. Well, I mean, I think you have to. Like, he was the third overall pick in the draft. A lot of people were excited about it. A lot of people, not only in the Colts organization, not only in the Browns organization, thought he was a special talent guy that would kind of really rip the league up. And he showed potential that first year in Cleveland. I think he has, you have to give him a bit of a, a curve because he had to learn the offense in Indianapolis. But now the, the excuse is about he has to play, he has to perform, he has to be a guy that can be like a 12 to 13 yard back. Because if he gives them that kind of production, man, it could be scary what Andrew Luck could be on the outside. What happened last year? You think it was just overloaded, you know, the playbook and the, the change of scenery was a little too much for him and he couldn't keep up with it? Is that what it was all about? Well, I mean, like, you know, like, it's, it's funny because just because they're pro athletes, they still are fragile in nature in terms of their confidence. And once he lost his confidence for whatever reason, he's not the same guy that we watched at Alabama. Hopefully he gets it back in the offseason. Hopefully he gets it back in training camp. He needs to have a big game. Once he has a big game, a game that he can kind of, like, get the monkey off his back, I think we'll see the Trent Richardson and everyone expected when he came into the league. One other really quick thing to watch for the Colts is just if Reggie Wayne is Reggie Wayne. People just assume he's going to come back and be the dynamic guy. He, he Again, another th- mid-30s guy, 34 years old, coming off a torn ACL. He's someone to watch closely this month. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I you know, it normally takes two years for a guy to come fully back mm. to regain his Pro Bowl form. I don't know if he'll be able to get it. I think really the emergence of T.Y. Hilton last year should help him out. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I guess what I'm interested in, you guys uh, can tell me what you think, but uh, with Justin Blackman out of the picture entirely, you have Marquise Lee in there, Allen Robinson, Cecil Shorts on the outside. Uh, 
how does this wide receiver group shake out, and are they going to be able to put a team out there that's going to score points? I mean, Cecil Shorts was – I thought he was dynamic down the stretch last season, really one of the AFC's better pass catchers at the end of the year. And they've got a lot of young guys. It just seems like a run-heavy offense to me. This is a camp where I want to really watch Blake Bortles because we might not get to see him again for a while. And to me, the preseason – What, a month? Well, you can't take that much – I was going to say, much. do we buy this? I do for a little while. You can't take that much for the preseason, but I do love watching the rookie quarterbacks. I like watching like Jadavian Clowney. I'm going to want to see how he looks in the preseason. The, I don't take much away from the veterans, but it's fun to watch these rookies and see. And you, you could tell if Bortles is a little further along than expected during preseason. Yeah, with the rookies, you're always looking to see if the game is too big for him. Right. So with Bortles, when he jumps on the field and he plays, like the first time he'll go out with the twos and threes, how does he perform against them? But then if he performs and shows up well – if they give him an opportunity to start a game, what does he look like versus the opposing team's first unit? If he shows that he has the ability to make good decisions, we know the talent is there. Is when will he be ready to handle the speed of the game? If he shows that he's ready, you throw him out there. The big thing, you have a young quarterback, you have young receivers. Allen Robinson, Marquise Lee, both are special talents. But it takes a while for rookie receivers to kind of pick up the nuances of the game. And even though I have a great receiver coach in Jerry Sullivan, it just may take that offense a while to kind of find a go. That's why Toby Gerhardt should be a big pickup in fantasy because and, he should get a ton of carries. And, Cesar, I know you, you, you're you on board with the Jags as a team that can improve a lot this year. I just, you know, the way Bucky explains it, and it, it kind of makes sense. There seems like to be still a lot of things unsettled with that offense. QB, I guess we're buying in on Toby Gerhardt and making the leap candidate. The wide receivers need to learn how to play at this level. You know, there's offensive promise lines. here. Offensive, yeah, yeah. I will. I would. There's a lot of stuff here that has to coalesce. Yeah, I don't know if it's a win total thing that I've been thinking when it comes. You to You said fifteen and one to me privately. Did I? <laughs> yeah. That was late in the night somewhere. I have no memory of that. But I, I think what a lot of players that went to Jacksonville free agent wise said, we want to play for Gus Bradley. We believe in this guy. They're a team that finally isn't totally chaotic in terms of owner, GM, and coach relationship. They seem to have a vision, and they've added some nice pieces, and I think they've drafted well. If they win, it'll be because the defense is better than the sum of their parts, and they're in a lousy division, and they win some ugly games, I think. I think so. I think 7-9 yeah. would be a great year for them. All right, let's move on to the AFC West. Finally, we'll start with the defending AFC champion, Blake Denver Broncos. Didn't even, you always talk about that the most forgettable <laughs> oh, you just missed team a t- that's in the league is Tennessee? the Tennessee Titans. Oh. You always say they're at the bottom. Their fans have been getting it after you, I Ouch. believe. And then this time you give them I the stand by my decision, hi-hat. by the way. That was a bit of a hi-hat. I'm sorry. The Tennessee Titans finally, last but not least. Oh, man, the Titans. Get excited, people of Nashville. Kid was it, Hunt? Turn <laughs> Philip Rivers around last year. This year he does it for Jake Locker. Bishop Is Sankey, he going to heal rookie him? Rookie of the year. The Titans get exciting. <laughs> Justin Hunter makes the leap. I mean, what are we looking for? He can't like. That's a lot. That's a lot of. I'm just trying to bring up the excitement for the Titans. Bucky, on. something to look for in Tennessee uh, this summer in camp. Well, I think it all comes down to Jake Locker. <laughs> I think it's his ability to make plays. The big thing I would look for is Zach Mettenberg. Mm. Can Zach wow, Mettenberg really? make? Mm. Can he make a move to be the starting quarterback? I mean, I know Charlie Whitehurst is there. I know Clipboard that there's a lot of stuff to talk about Jake Locker, but Zach Mettenberg was drafted in the sixth wow. round. A lot of people viewed him as a guy that had upper echelon talent. He has some other issues that prevented him from being a, a top, a top pick. But he has a lot of talent. He looks the part. And he's someone who is very similar to what Ken Wisdom is used to working with at the quarterback position. Is that the issue maybe with Locker when you inherit a guy like Locker? You have to spend all offseason saying, I see nice things in him, we're going to do our best with him. But 
He's just not a Wizen Hunt type quarterback. Well, you try you try to salvage him. I mean, he's talented. He's a super athlete. He's a guy who played in a wing T offense. He's like in high a better Roethlisberger, maybe. He played maybe. a couple different. Yeah, he played a couple different offenses in Washington, and so he's been hurt. He's been unavailable. He's missed 14 starts, so it's hard to figure out what he is. He has to show it real soon. I think they'll move on. The other day, I made the case for him as the potential in a perfect world as the AFC's Cam Newton. What do you think about that one? Hubba hubba. AFC's Cam Newton in what capacity? You know, he might not be the most accurate guy every play, but he'll make plays with his legs. He can. He's got some leadership ability. There's something about him that, that people gravitate towards, and he can make plays on the move. He has that? the ability to be a player to make plays. He will never be, in my mind, he'll never be a 60% completion percentage yeah. passer. He wasn't that in college. But I think if you're depending on a guy that can make plays, give you a couple splash plays, you have a strong running game to set him up, they have some receivers. Now, if he can just get it close to the area code, Kendall Wright, <laughs> you talk about Justin Hunter, they have some nice guys, Delaney Walker at tight end. They have enough to help him. But he has to understand how to go through his regression. Isn't the way they used them when they opened up strong last season where it was just pound the ball all day long and have them just sit there and throw an occasional pass? You know, privately, there's some people that said that, you know, like their offensive coordinator last year got away from that. When they were winning, they were running the football, really pounding the ball, and they had him throwing the ball 22 to 25 times, much like Ben Roethlisberger came into the league. And so if you go back and you do the parallels, Ken Wisenhunt was in Pittsburgh when Ben Roethlisberger started out, and he formulated that game plan that allowed them to have a lot of success with a rookie quarterback, maybe he takes that same approach with Jake Locker. Hmm. We went deep on the Titans. Glad you didn't skip that. You can't give us any grief. I'm glad we got it. I'm glad we got it. And I'm sorry to the people of Tennessee. Now let's talk about some real teams. The Denver Broncos (laughs) are the defending AFC champions. I think this is a team where, you know, a lot of things seem to be sewn up entering camp, but there are some interesting things here. And I'll start with the running back position, Mate Ball, who is a making-the-leap candidate for ATL. Um, There are really no signs that he's going to lose that starting job this summer. It seems like his job to lose. Ronnie Hillman's still in the mix. Uh, one guy to keep a, keep an eye out on is C.J. Anderson, perhaps? Yeah. He's tough. I don't, I don't like their running back situation, but I think Monty Ball could be effective. I think he's a zone runner. I think anyone who plays behind Peyton Manning is going to have success. I just think the nature of their offense, because they throw it around so much, you kind of treat that running game like a second-class citizen, so people won't pay to that. So you look up and you find out that Monty Ball has a 100-yard game because you haven't paid attention to it. And so he can give them some production. I think at the end of the day, the Denver Broncos' success would depend on how tough and physical they are against elite teams. Can they stand up when people want to make it a phone booth matchup? Everyone is going to copy what Seattle did. They're going to try and beat him up at the line of scrimmage. They're going to try and attack Peyton Manning by blitzing him and getting after him. If they can hold up, they have a lot of success. This, this is one of those teams I feel like we don't even need to talk about much in August. It's so settled. You know, you want to see if Von Miller is going to be healthy coming off an injury and DeMarcus Ware if he's healthy, but just roll the ball out in September. I don't know what this offense especially is going to decide in August, not a lot. Well, what about a guy like Cody Latimer? Do you think he has a chance to see more action at wide receiver early on than we would think today? I think he gets on the field if there's an injury. I think right now they're pretty set. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders coming over, Demarius Thomas. Uh, you have Wes Welker and Toast, Julian Thomas. I mean, they have Crowded a lot. House. They have a lot of people in place. But I always go back to think about what Peyton Manning was able to do with the Blair Whites of the world and some of the other nondescript guys <laughs> that played in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. If Cody Latimer gets on the field, he's going to have production because that's what Peyton Manning does. We he brought some of them with him to Indianapolis. <laughs> he's still got uh, Jacob Tammy yeah, catching yeah, passes. He, he has, he 
has a way of getting those guys to, to be successful on the field. And one last thing to watch out for the Broncos is off the field is Demarius Thomas and Julius Thomas. They're still looking uh, to sign those guys to deals. And John Elway said uh, yesterday that they're hoping by the second week of the preseason to have deals done with them. Another team that has a major player uh, with contract issues, Justin Houston, skipped mandatory minicamp for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, last month, so that's something to keep an eye on in Kansas City. Uh, another guy to watch is uh, first-round pass rusher D. Ford. It will be interesting to see how quickly he adjusts to the NFL game. I talked about the Broncos are a team you can fast-forward to September. The Chiefs are the opposite because they have so many unsettled positions, so much change. Their entire offensive line has changed. They lost four or five starters on defense. The wide receiver situation after Dwayne Bow is wide open. This is a team that needs to kind of get their house in order in August. They do have to get their house in order. And so because of that, I think that's why they really have to lean on their defense. You talk about Justin Houston uh, wanting to come back. Maybe he, does, he holds out because he wants a bigger contract. Then you have D4 coming in. That was a move designed to be an insurance policy against the holdout. But I like that defense. I like the young pieces they have on defense. Offensively, I never expect him to be explosive. I like what Alex Smith is as a game manager, but I don't think you can put it all on him to make this team be a team that scores 27 to 28 points tonight it's about jamal charles jamal charles has to be superman on that offense and hopefully they can find another receiver to compliment Dwayne bow that is a team that that fan base felt disrespected last season because they were <laughs> never taken seriously but i have to question because they grew stronger on offense the offense actually carried them down the stretch in the regular season and you go out and Dwayne bow is i you know he's somewhat of a question mark in terms mm -hmm. of his trajectory no longer at fat. this point no longer fat in theory. I guess lost some weight. But behind him, you've got Junior Hemingway, Donnie Avery, and A.J. Jenkins. It's just – it's a it's a demoralizing group. <laughs> <laughs> to who? Wow. Well, uh, I think the Chiefs fans – Why do the Chiefs <laughs> well, fans no, – There's definitely not a lot, a lot of sizzle there, and I think because of that. But, like, <laughs> when I go back and I look at Andy Reid's offenses from before in Philadelphia – he never really had dynamic playmakers at wide receiver. I know Deshaun Jackson was the guy, but, like, he ran with James Thrash and Todd mm, Princeton right. and all kinds of other guys that he threw in there. He may not put a lot of value in terms of having marquee names there, but if Dwayne Bowe is enough to be the number one receiver, maybe those other guys can kind of do it in a complimentary role. In Oakland, there's always plenty of uh, things to settle and figure out during training camp. Maybe not as much this year as last year, but last year might have been a historic in that situation. Uh, one position, obviously, is quarterback. Matt Schaub was traded, traded for Matt Schaub to install him as the starting quarterback. But there are a lot of people, and I think especially in this around the league group, that think that uh, Matt Schaub could be pushed here by Derek Carr. What do you think, Bucky? I think Matt Schaub will be the starting quarterback. I think he's been dismissed. I understand he didn't have a great year last year, but I think he's a solid player in a system. He's a system quarterback. That system is the West Coast offense where he's allowed to really work through his progressions and get the ball out of his hands. If he sticks to that, if their receivers can come open on time, I think he'll be fine. But if it gets to a point where they're not able to protect him, I think you have to put Derek Carr in because Derek Carr is more mobile. He's a better athlete, and he has some magic to him that we haven't seen. Yeah, and their coach, Dennis Allen, I think – did a much better job than NFL's own Elliot Harrison gave him credit for. The number 32-ranked coach 
in Someone LA's power. Well, give me a break, Someone though. Someone has to be last. With, with that talent last year, he did a good job that they were even competitive some weeks and won five games. I kind of like this Dennis Allen, Jason Tarver, Greg Olson. You do? You mix like it that? all up. You I, like I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I kind of like the Raiders Well, we this like year. it Let's now. Let's have some fun. I mean, obviously, their general manager, Reggie McKenzie, just loaded up on guys that five years ago would have been – this would have been an all-star team. And they're hoping for the but best. But that's the right away. I guess that's it is. That's the right away. You, Ta- say, you oh, take an old veteran and try and squeeze out that last little bit of juice out of him. And that's – you know, in, at running back, you've got one of the bigger battles. You've got McFadden, who – if he – post Hugh Jackson, he's never been the same guy. And MJD, how does this shake out? I mean, I, I just – it's hard for me to really look at this running back – this backfield and say, I'm excited. It's, it seems old. <laughs> it is old. I don't know if there's a lot of excitement that can be gleaned from there. I, I really don't know offensively where is the exciting playmaker. Like, uh, who is the guy? Denarius Moore. Denarius Moore in theory. At time, but – but that's it. Like, I mean, what what James do we have Jones, to hang our right. hat on? Right. He, he's okay. Like, he's a nice number three player. But now he's moving up to me and a starter. That's they have three that's really tough. nice number threes. That's the problem. They have Jones, Rod Streeter, who has yeah, to be flashes, the least yeah. known player that had over eight hundred yards last year. Rod Streeter had a pretty good season, and Denarius Moore, who's had a lot of big plays. Finally, the San Diego Chargers, our final team today. Uh, you know, this is an offense that has a potential to be pretty exciting this year. Frank Reich is now the coordinator. He's going to potentially bring some of those no-huddle principles from his days at Buffalo. Ladarius Green is somebody that the Around the League team is very excited about as a game-breaker who could change that offense. Uh, what do you think, Bucky, about their offense? Is it going to see something that's a lot different this year? I like the charge. I think the Chargers are a dark horse team. If we get excited about Pittsburgh, we should be really excited about San Diego. <laughs> Offensively, Phillip Rivers has kind of found his way back. Ryan Matthews in the backfield. You still have Danny Woodhead and those guys outside. Keenan Allen is a grown man. He's a big-time playmaker. I think he's a guy who's a number one receiver all day, every day. Ladarius Green gives them something that they haven't had. When you have the ability to put Antonio Gates and Ladarius Green on the field at the same time, you now can dictate offensively what you want the defense to be in, whether base, whether nickel, you have a matchup in that area. And because they don't have another established receiver on the outside, I know Malcolm Floyd is coming back, but no one that you're really scared about. Expect them to be in a lot of two tight end sets with with those two guys on the field and really using Green as another wide receiver to take advantage of matchups. If you look at the breakdown of snaps as the season progressed last year, once you hit about week 12, Green was a guy that was on the field a lot. So that backs up what you're saying. There's no way that they're going to make sure he's on the field and Gates is going to continue to be a player in this offense. Frank Reich has a lot of interesting pieces to play with because you got two tight ends and you also have three quality running backs. Not many teams have a better group than Ryan Matthews, who I love on early downs, Danny Woodhead, who caught more passes than any running back in the league, and Donald Brown. I mean, that's that's a three-pack you can win with. But couldn't your average fan just checks in on Sunday, watches games, would struggle to name one defender on this team? Is San Diego's (laughs) defense an issue? I, you know, I don't think it's an issue. I think they played really well. I think John Pagano did a great job of kind of at maximizing the, of the, the talent that they had at the very end. But part of their problem is they didn't believe in their corners last year, so they were afraid to go man-to-man. One of the things that they, they – the points of emphasis this year was to try and find a couple cover corners. So you get Jason Verrett in the draft, a guy that could probably be their nickel corner. Brandon Flowers comes over. I know you he can't run. He's a, little, <laughs> he's a little shorter than you expect, but he gives them something that they didn't have. You have Sharice Wright, who was there. Eric Weller is a playmaker. I think they'll be more aggressive. I saw a lot of man coverage when I was there down in training camp. I think they have a chance. We got Flowers coming into the studio to talk with us on Monday, I believe. We do. We have Brandon Flowers. So I'm that, excited. That is uh, that is something to be excited about, Greg. I mean, 
And you know what else was exciting? Having Bucky Brook. Buck, Bucky Absolutely. Brooks, excuse me, Knocked in the studio. 16 teams. 16 teams. Couldn't have done it without you, Bucky. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. And the door is always open. You are one I'll of step our consigliaries, <laughs> I like to say, uh, now I'll, at this I'll point. i through it. Yeah, you did. And uh, so we'll be back on Monday, like we said, back to three shows a week, starting next week with the start of training camp. Uh, Kevin Patch will be in the studio next week, as well as Brendan Flowers, just a bunch of guys whose bodies don't quit. So get excited. <laughs> uh, too bad there's no cameras in here. Uh, all right, so that's it. Until Monday, this is Dan Hansa signing off for the Sizzler, the boss, Double B, and TD. Ooh, I like that. Double Until B. Monday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.